Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Lord, we're grateful to be alive. We're grateful. In all of this, we, we, we turn our eyes off of all the negative, and we look at the God who is strong and greatly to be praised, and who's saving souls and, and healing bodies and baptizing people in the Holy Spirit. I praise you, Lord, that you're raising up strong disciples in this day. Lord Jesus, we come to your feet today. We would follow you, our rabbi that you would open your word to us and teach us. We would be your disciples. I pray for the grace to get out of the way and let us hear you speak. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, where are we in John 6? We have, uh, you recall, we've we've fed 5,000 men, but this is probably 10 to 15,000 people altogether. Uh, On the northeast corner, I I feel, of of the Sea of Galilee, And there was this great crowd gathered and Jesus took five barley loaves and in front of everybody, this isn't like in the, you know, comes out behind a curtain. Uh, This is, it says he held them up and and blessed them. He's had everyone sit down is the first instruction. And they sat by fifties and a hundreds. They were to count off so that we had an idea of the size. I mean, this is not a guesstimate. So they're in fifties and a hundred on all this green grass. It's springtime. And then, so they're sitting on the green grass. He holds it up. Every, everybody's looking now. They're all sitting down. He holds it up and thanks God, prays the blessing over it, and then begins to break it into baskets. And the disciples are taking it. And it didn't, it didn't say everyone got a little bit. Everyone got as much bread as they wanted. And then he took the same with the fish. As much as they wanted. So these disciples of his are going back and forth. This is a meal. A meal. They all watched this. Well, what happened? They tried, to, they tried to make him their king. And this was actually a mob action. It got kind of ugly. Uh, they weren't letting him out of there. <laughs> you can't leave. And, and so he, he, his, his disciples, I think, kind of got into the, they liked the idea too. He said, get in the boat and get out of here. And so he sent them uh, west toward, northwest toward Capernaum. Uh, you remember a storm comes, <laughs> it's already probably beginning to blow. He says, get out of here. And then he went up, he snuck out and went up on the mountain. And there is a hill right where I think this is. There's a mountain that looks over the lake. This is, this is Passover time, so you've got a full moon. And he sat there and watched them as they rode against that violent wind, uh, heading, trying to, it was a wind coming from the west, and they're trying to go northwest in that boat. Remember this? And then how did he get out of there? <laughs> he walked across the lake. Go figure. They hadn't planned on that. Uh, in the morning, they're looking for him, and the whole crowd then, uh, and, and, and lots of boats which came from the big city of Tiberias, and they were looking for Jesus too. They all went around the north side of the lake there and f- finally found him at Capernaum. And when they find him, they say, how did you get here? And that's where we pick up. Uh, chapter 6, verse uh, 25. Chapter 6, verse 25. And when they found him on the other side of the sea... Uh, that's either at Capernaum or a mile or so south at the Valley of Gennesaret. They said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you, did not, you seek me not because you saw signs. In other words, you didn't understand the spiritual meaning of what I did at all. But where you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Would you say that? What Jesus says. This is the work of God, that you believe in him, whom he has sent. Let's do it again. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. I'm going to go on a bit. So they said to him, what then do you do for a sign 
This is kind of ironic, isn't it? He's just uh, fed them uh, maybe 10 or 15,000 people with five little loaves of barley bread. What do you do to prove yourself? Uh, they're, they're <laughs> this, is, this is gross manipulation. They're trying to get more food. So they said, oh, so that we may see and believe you. <laughs> Uh, by the way, I, let, me, let, me, let me add something that the, the other Gospels all put in. When Jesus, you know, the, in the middle of the night, when, he, when uh, he got into the boat, he walked across the lake. Peter tried. Do you remember all that? We've done that. He, when Jesus got into the boat, and Peter, it says the boat was immediately at the land. And there was sort of a miraculous transport of the boat. But it didn't come to Capernaum. It came about a mile or so south in what's called the Valley of Gennesaret. If you want to see it, I got a picture of it on the back wall behind this building, behind this uh, auditorium. And the, the picture there you have of, of the Sea of Galilee, that's Gennesaret right beneath it, all those fields. So it, it shows up there. Well, what happened is the minute he hit shore, this is early in the morning, very early in the morning, people spotted him. And they, they knew who he was, and they ran all over the area, grabbing their sick and bringing, carrying them, bringing all the sick to where he was. And it says in, in two of the Gospels, it says every single person who touched, and, and this is, I thought this was interesting, touched the fringe of his robe. Remember how we, we hear about the woman who touched the fringe of his robe? Well, that was apparently a common practice. I mean, many did that. They, she did it, but this was not her unique thing where she grabbed the. And what that would have been, I think, is this prayer shawl, you know, has got the tassels on it. They have the. the, the so I, they, they're touching that. And, and it says, as many as touched the hem of his robe uh, were healed. Now, that is not how you disperse a crowd. No, if, and he's trying to find privacy. He's trying to, he's trying to get away. <laughs> he's trying to get someplace and pray and talk to his disciples. He is under siege with the people now. Uh, they're just pursuing him everywhere. Uh, but that's not how you do it. And he now, they have this conversation. So just, I wanted to say that to say, <laughs> so the crowd shows up and says, what do you do to prove yourself? What do I have to do to prove myself? Then they, and then you can see where they're going. They want more bread. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Uh, Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. They're thinking miraculous bread. Uh, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Let's say that. It's just, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. Want to retell that so that you have it in your mind? When the people who had eaten the loaves and fish finally caught up with Jesus in Capernaum, they tried to persuade him to give them more bread. But he refused. He told them they were asking for the wrong kind of bread and seeking to satisfy the wrong kind of hunger. He said, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were fed. They recognized that he had spiritual power, but did not understand the spiritual meaning of the miracles he performed. Do you understand that? You can see power, but you don't get it at all as to what it's, why the Lord is even doing these things. Some of the people had walked miles and, and others had sailed across the lake to find him. But all they wanted was more bread. Jesus told them that the zeal and energy they were using to pursue food which perishes would be better spent pursuing the food which remains un, into eternal life. That's the literal. Food which remains into eternal life. By food... He meant the knowledge of the truth, which leads to salvation. He wanted them to be more concerned with being right with God than finding a free meal. The crowd did not hear in his words a call to faith. Instead, they focused on the word work, which he had used. They asked what sort of religious works would they need to do in order to please God? See, these, these, these Jews are hearing this. He says you, the word. Uh, what work should we do then so that, in effect, God will give us more bread or, or bless us? They, uh, sadly, their question may have meant nothing more than what must we do so God will give us more miraculous bread. But Jesus answered the question they should have asked, which is what must, must we do to be saved? 
And he said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. We learn from this that there is a work that humans who hear the gospel must do to be saved. It is the choice we make to exercise faith in Jesus Christ. He did not say there is no work you can do because salvation is accomplished entirely by God. Nor did he give them a list of do's and don'ts and then admonish them to try to earn their salvation. He simply said, in effect, your responsibility is to respond in faith to what I'm telling you. His answer to them reveals a profound truth. Humans must exercise faith to be saved, but no human effort earns salvation. Shall we say that together? Uh, Humans must exercise faith to be saved, but no human effort earns salvation. On our, our part in the process is to believe when God shows us the truth. Then Jesus began to identify himself as the bread. He said, for the bread of God is the one coming down out of heaven and giving life to the world. He met, of course, himself, but the crowd still did not realize that. They thought he was talking about a miraculous type of food and asked him to give them an ongoing supply. His response removes all confusion. He bluntly states, I am the bread of life. The one coming to me does not at all hunger, and the one believing in me will never thirst at all. He, the, the, the Greek has a double negative, and it's the way you say things when you really mean not. And so it's, it's, it, when I put, I put the at all in there, the, the one coming to me does not at all hunger, and the one believing in me will never thirst at all. In other words, the Father had sent him from heaven to satisfy the hunger in human beings for eternal life. The way a person ate this bread was by recognizing who Jesus is and why he came and then choosing to respond to that revelation by faith. The work of God. There are people who misunderstand Paul's teachings about works versus faith. They interpret him to mean that humans have no part to play in their own salvation. They think the word works means every form of human activity. So they conclude that in order to avoid trying to earn our salvation, humans must remain totally passive in the process. But Paul's warnings about words, pardon me, works, were aimed at people who were trying to earn eternal life by obeying all the rules in the Bible. His point was to tell them that they must receive God's gift of righteousness by faith because no one could live a life good enough to earn it. He was trying to stop people from attempting self-righteousness, not demanding they become passive. This, what, I'm not just dealing with something that's some theoretical distant thing that some guy who lives in, 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 in Indiana believes. This is a whole, whole movements of Christianity would teach you passivity. They would say, they would inform you about Jesus, but they would not tell you ever that you need to reach out by faith and choose to believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, it's, it's kind of interesting. I, I'll watch people who've been raised in that kind of culture. And then when someone does come along and just encourage them, no, you need to choose to trust him as your savior as it were, and, and, and to, uh, to repent of your sins you'll watch them actually, in some cases, I think, get born again. They are in, you can't inform someone into, into the kingdom. The, the, he's saying, Jesus is saying something really important here. They said, what must we do to do the works of God? And basically he's saying, nothing, but this is one thing you must do. And this, you can't be passive. This is your job. You must believe. You must believe. Yeah. You, you hear this? Yeah. And, and this is... Who decides whether I go to heaven or hell? Is, is it me or is it God? I mean, is, am I just, just sort of this passive guy and God either picks me or he doesn't? That's the way whole sections of Christianity teach it. It, it, it encourages passivity. There are nations on this planet where this, they've been raised in that. And they assume if there's anything to Christianity, they were baptized as infants, they were, they're members of the church, their name is on the roll, and if, if there's anything to it, they're in. It is souring uh, whole societies. It's not a small matter. This, this truth that Jesus brings out today, we really have to hear it. Jesus' statement about the work of God is in answer to a question the crowd asked him when they caught up to him in Capernaum. They asked, what shall we do so that we may work the works of God? 
he told them that there is only one work anyone can do, and that is to believe in him. As we listen to his answer, it seems clear that in Jesus' mind, believing in him is not a work in the sense that someone is trying to earn salvation. It is the means by which they receive God's gift of grace. To explain this truth, Jesus went on to compare himself to the manna God sent to Israel, which each morning during their years, uh, pardon me, each morning during their years in the wilderness, people would go out with baskets and collect the manna until each one had enough to eat. Surely no one thought of themselves as earning their daily bread. They were merely doing their part to receive a gift. Picking it up off the ground didn't produce the bread. It was the action necessary to receive the bread which God provided. The bread was a free gift sent from heaven. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yeah, when they, would, they would wake up and there'd be some sort of carbohydrate uh, that it's sort of like a frost all over the ground. And you'd go out and you'd take your baskets and you'd, 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 you'd pick up what you could. Young people got a lot of stuff. Old people, you know, oh, it hurts and picked up a little bit. <laughs> and you would then dump it. You dumped it into a big common basket. This is how it was done. This is really important truth, actually. You dump, everybody dumps theirs. You don't take your bowl home. You don't pick up yours and go home. You take, pick up yours and dump it into a common basket. And then everybody gets the same size. And goes back. You follow? Isn't that, isn't, that, isn't that profound? Everybody has the same measure of, of, of this stuff. No one's thinking, I'm earning my daily bread. This is the, but there is an effort, if you will, or a, a human participation. If I'm going to receive the gift of this bread, I have to do something. And Jesus says, here's the work. Here's how you pick up the bread. You believe in him whom he sent. Passivity and self-righteousness. Those who consider even the exercise of a person's will to be work are often sincerely trying to honor God. They want it to be clear that he alone is responsible for our salvation and that no human will ever be able to boast that we saved ourselves. But in doing so, they reduce our role to the point that the human is totally passive and has no part to play at all. But everything Jesus says in this, as well as the other Gospels, indicates that we humans have a God-given capacity to choose to believe or not believe when the truth is presented to us. It's when the truth is presented to us, when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes. And he, who will he open his, uh, the eyes of? Anyone who will, who will allow it. God wants all to come to him. And he'll open eyes. And I, in my opinion, I believe that God has, has revealed himself and is revealing himself to every human on the planet. Now, we don't all have the same amount of light. But God is calling and reaching out to all. And to those who respond to the light, they get more light. And he draws them and he draws them. He loves every baby born today on planet Earth. Do you follow this? Yeah. And he is, is he doing anything about it? Yes, he is. This is a saving God. This is a heavenly father who is fighting for souls, not standing back going, well, we'll see who we let in. Uh, is, is, is this serious business? It absolutely is. Are people making the wrong decisions? Oh, all the time. It's horrible. But you and I, in, in our response to him, decide our destiny. There are, of course, people who hold the opposite view. They would say that there are many demands in the Bible which must be obeyed if a person wants eternal life. In their minds, in order to be saved, a person must at least do more good deeds than bad deeds. And they think God will weigh our good deeds and bad deeds and the side with more will determine our future. Uh, those who think this way often select certain behaviors as especially bad and certain behaviors as the ones God values most. They take great comfort in comparing themselves to others. I wish I could say that, that what, the things I'm talking about are, are rare or in just a few. This is the other side of the deal. There is also a, a large movement in which people are becoming more and more legalistic. And many of them are doing it with, with Judaism. 
Uh, many Christians are going back into some forms in which they're, 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 they're saying, well, we've got to observe the Sabbath, and we've got to eat carefully, and we've got to wear these things. And, and, and they're going back into this whole, this whole deal. Uh, and, and Paul would say, look, if you go back into the law, the law bears in it. You need to understand this. The law carries with it a curse. There is a curse of the law. And he says, if you choose to go back into the law and hope in the law and by your deeds earn your salvation, then if you fail, and he says, and here's the standard. Paul says this, not me. Don't look at me. Paul says this. He says, here's the standard. If you break it once, you're toast. So he says, if you want the curse, welcome to the law. He says, don't you slide back in your heart. Now, can I do all of these things of observing uh, in whatever way, but certainly in Jewish ways and all of this. Can I do that in an act of worship? Yes, I can. But I have to guard my heart. If I slide into self-righteousness, if I slide into comparing myself to others and feeling well, I, 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 I go to the church on the right day. In spite of what Paul says, he's just adamant about saying that doesn't matter anymore. It's a shadow. But I don't think so, because it says here forever, and so I start wading into that kind of thing. If I let that in, I'm in this camp. And it's happening a lot because people are desperate. Here's my take on it. You either have the power and the relationship or you're thrashing around looking for some sort of religion to satisfy you. And, and much of the Christianity that's being offered is very weak. It's, it's, it's not, it has no transformative power. There's no repentance in it. There's no baptism of the Holy Spirit. People are sort of, do you, do you like three hymns in a lecture? You know, and if it doesn't, that doesn't satisfy you. So people are thrashing, looking for something because the world is falling apart. There is something. There is something. Jesus is the Savior. He's real. And, and the, this, this, the fullness of the Spirit is real. I, last night, I have a couple come up and she came, she's been listening uh, on the radio and uh, she has depression. And she came last night from, uh, they drove over from a distant place and and she said, I, would you pray for me? And, and, and then I she talking about depression. And I'm starting to talk about sort of counseling about depression. And she says, I need the baptism of the Spirit. And I'm going, thank you. You know, you had to tell me that. And uh, sorry. I am so learning that, you know, I, there's nothing. Uh, I, counseling has a place. We can give you advice. But until you and I have a relationship and it's living, and it works. All the counseling in the world can't help me because I'm powerless to, to do what I'm told anyway. So we go in, we go in there with her husband, and, and uh, Joey and I, and, and pray with her. You know, and, and, and my goodness, uh, she was praying in tongues faster than I was. And, uh, you know, and, and they'd had difficulty and pain in the past. They'd, they'd actually had people kind of work them over, and they had some bad feeling, and the husband was kind of defensive, and and all of this, and then, then he watches his wife just woof, and she, she goes, you know, and then, then I say, let's pray for you, and then she's up with her hands on him, and, and the power was on him. All right, that's, what I'm saying is, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for the Lord. And if you don't have that, you begin to look for other stuff. You begin to wear gear. You begin, you begin to do stuff. You begin to start getting religious, because you are desperate. Have I, have I balanced this properly? Is it okay for me to... Uh, you, you need to know, I got a prayer shawl at home. I stood up in it this, this week and put it on in prayer. I love, the, I love those things. They're beautiful to me. I can do it as a worship. I'm not earning anything. Do you follow? Okay, that's the, that's, that's the line we must be aware of. Uh, they take great comfort in comparing themselves to others. Here's a parable Jesus used to illustrate this kind of attitude. And you know it. It's the parable of the, of the of tax collector and the publican. Uh, Luke 18. Let's hear it quickly. Verse 9. He also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. 
I pray, pay tithes of all that I get. Notice it always, this is what I said, it always comes down to religious actions. When you get legalistic, you always get the outward actions. Why? Because the, nobody can control those inward attitudes. But the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man, the, 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 uh, the, the tax collector, this man went out to his house justified. He had repented and humbled himself rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's go back. This kind of thinking always ends up focusing on certain selected behaviors, outward religious actions and validating itself by comparing uh, what other groups, uh, what our group does with what bad people do. I wish I could say that these attitudes are two extremes that most people avoid. But sadly, that is not the case. A large number of people believe in total passivity, and a large number of people are working hard to earn their salvation. For some reason, accepting my own responsibility to believe the truth when God reveals it to me, while at the same time acknowledging my helplessness to earn my salvation, can be confusing. Yet this is the answer Jesus gave when the crowd asked, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Grace. The fact that it was necessary for the father to send his son to die for us proves that all humans are desperately infected with sin. Even the best among us exhibit such sins as selfishness, dishonesty, lust, or independence from God. In the book of Romans, Paul quotes from the psalmist who says, let's read it together. There is none righteous, not even one. Paul is trying to make the point that if I rely on my behaviors to earn God's favor, God's assessment of the human race from beginning to end of every single human being is no one makes it. Do you follow? That if you go that course, no one makes it. No one makes it. Paul says all humans need God's gift of salvation. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And he includes in that statement people who are trying to keep God's rules. He says the solution is for each of us to receive the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. In effect, he is saying exactly the same thing Jesus said. We receive a salvation we don't deserve by believing in Jesus. Our part is to make the choice to believe. His part is to win our salvation by his death and resurrection. Lawlessness. It is possible to hear the truth that I can't earn my salvation, that it's a gift I must receive by faith, but to misunderstand what that means. To think that it means I can sin as much as I want and still go to heaven. That all I have to do is keep believing in Jesus and my bad behavior doesn't matter. But to conclude that sin no longer matters is to ignore warnings Jesus, Paul, and many others give us. This is another. So whenever you get into the subject of how you're saved, there's all sorts of confusion. And this is another one. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a growing movement right now in, 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 in the Pentecostal world and everywhere else called extreme grace. And the whole idea is it's a, there's a truth that's, that's spoken. In fact, it's one I've taught you for years. When, when, when Jesus died for our sins, he died for all of them, right? Yeah. When he died on the cross, he died for the sins of the whole world, all of them. And so the thought is, well, in that case, no matter what I do, it's already been paid for. So if it's already been paid for, I don't really even need to repent of it. Once I have Jesus, it's all sort of free. So you, we are, you're actually given permission that if you want to continue to indulge your addiction, you want to just go for it, sort of have at it, you can. And it's okay. I mean, it, it'd be nice if you change, but there's really no problem with that. I've had, I've had on a couple of occasions now, I've had men come in who want to leave their wives. And I had one guy, here's, how, here's the logic from this. Here's the logic. This one man was, uh, had already begun doing stuff. And uh, wanted to leave his wife and was, it was telling me that he was going to do this. And, and he says, now I know God doesn't like this. But he, but he says, you know, he says, I'm under grace. And he says, if, if, there's, 
if there's one millionth part, he did, one millionth part works in that grace, he says it's not grace. And so he says, when, when, I, do, when I do this, I'm going to apologize. And, and God will forgive me. And we'll go on. And that'll be that. And I said, you're, you're deluded. And I'm going to explain to you what he's deluded about right now. Because this is being taught, and, and, and they're being told what freedom we're finding. Oh, we're finding such freedom. Let me tell you that the big problem with Western culture is not, uh, is not that we're all so legalistic. Most of Western culture is ferociously lawless. We don't submit to anything or anybody. The last thing you need to do to tell of American is go for it. We're already exhausted from having gone for it. Yeah. Yeah, we don't have any energy left. Yeah. Yeah. All right, now let's, let's look at that then. Let's, let's see what that is, because that's, that's what this is about. If, if, the, if all I have to do is believe in Jesus, does that mean, boy, that doesn't matter after that. First, let's listen to Jesus. Uh, look with me with you at Matthew 7, and I'll look at verse, verse 17 through 23. Jesus says this, so every good tree bears good fruit. And every bad tree bears bad fruit. A, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And then, so then you will know them by their fruits. He actually invites us to look at the way people live. Oh, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does what? Yeah, there's, a, there's, a, there's an obedience that, come, that is in those who are going. Now watch, this is really fascinating to me. Verse 22, he lists things. All three of the things he lists are Pentecostal. He says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not what? Prophesy, number one, in your name. And then number two, and cast out demons, exorcism. There we go. And in your name, perform many? Miracles. Okay, so we got power, folks. Yes, yes. We got power. Yes. We're doing stuff. And, and what does he say? What's the next thing he says? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who do what? This isn't a game. That's right. no. this, this walking with Jesus is not a game. You cannot game him. You either love him, you surrender to him. He is your master and Lord. Now, did my, if I still have my flesh, oh, sweetheart, it was roaring this morning. Huh? No, no. Sure we do. Are we in a battle? Do I love him? That's the issue. Do I surrender to him? Do I acknowledge him? And you can't fool him. With all the religious things in the world, you cannot fool him. Now listen to Paul. What then? This is out of Romans. Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. Paul warns us that sin enslaves those who practice us. It's not a neutral commodity. It's not just something that goes on the, on one, on the bad side of your list. It has a power to it. When I commit it, I release something. An, there's an addictive enslavement to it. It enslaves those who practice it and it brings death. The death he's talking about is ultimately spiritual death because he contrasts it with eternal life. He's warning Christians. And he's saying, don't go there. Don't yield yourself to that. Sin and faith. This raises the question, must I stop sinning to go to heaven? Which brings us back to where we started. If I could stop, we wouldn't need grace. Here's how I understand the connection between sin and faith. I believe faith in Jesus Christ must be a living reality in my heart. You might say faith is like a flame on a lamp that needs to stay lit. As long as the flame is burning, I'm saved. 
even though I may be failing in my struggle against sin in certain areas of my life. Did you hear what that just said? Sin and struggle isn't the issue. The issue is the faith that burns in my heart. The problem is sin affects that. I think this is the lesson of the ten virgins. I'll just tell it to you. I mean, you know it as well as I do. You have a, Jesus gives a parable there, and he tells about ten young women, and they're having an evening wedding, and we're waiting for the, for the, for the, for the bridegroom to come, and he'll come down the road into the, into the family's uh, uh, area of their home, and uh, they're waiting for, him, for their arrival that he's, he's coming. And they have these lamps, these little oil lamps, if you go to Israel, you see lots of these, and then with the wick on them, and they've got olive oil, and they're burning. And there's 10 of them. Five of them have an extra vial of oil with them. In fact, when, we, when you go there, you can buy these things. You can buy them from antiquity. The lamps and the little vial of oil. It's just one load. It's just one load in that thing. And uh, so some of them have that load of, of a replenishment of oil, and some of them don't. Well, he, he, he delays. Yeah, and he's not coming, and they, they tend to fall asleep, you know. The lamp's still going, and when, when they, they wake up with a shout, he's, he's coming, you know. And, and five of them uh, look at their lamp, and every, the, the, the wick is going down. You know, and the, the, it's, I mean, the, the flame is getting smaller and smaller. And they turn to the ones that have the oil and say, share your oils with us, we're running out. And they say, well, if, if we give you our oil, we won't have enough for ourselves. Go, go to the dealer and buy some. And then while they're gone... The, the, the bridegroom comes, and the gate's closed. What, what's the flame? What, what is it that's, that's burning? What, what must be burning? This parable does not imply that I earn anything, but it does warn me that I have the responsibility to replenish the oil in my lamp so that the flame will keep burning. To me, that process of replenishing the oil includes confession of sin, repentance, forgiveness, Hearing and reading the word of God, worship and avoiding temptation. I don't ever want to use grace as an excuse to sin. What's the flame? It's faith. Brothers and sisters, you and I have to have living faith when we die. And faith is not simply a commodity. It's not something you do once. I prayed it when I was 13, went down an aisle, said the prayer. If there's anything to this, I'm in. You can't do that. Do you have in you living faith now? When you pass across... Will you have living faith then? And of course you can. This isn't like anything. This is what Paul is so clear in Romans 8. Nothing can take it away from us. There's nothing in heaven or or hell that can take away from me, take me out of the arms of God. But I still, now we're back to, I still have a responsibility. You see, I'm not passive. I still have a responsibility. What do I do? Well, I repent of my sins. I hear the word of God. I I worship. I gather with the people of God. I'm not earning anything. I'm maintaining my oil. I'm keeping my heart aflame. I also take seriously the statement that, that sin brings death. I think sin always brings death. Every time. So I try to avoid it and repent quickly when I realize I've done it. I I want to stop the damage as soon as possible. Here's the way I picture it. What happens is if I let sin go unattended, if I I just begin to stonewall, the danger is when people say, you know, you begin to uh, get defeated and you feel, I'm not going to confess it anymore. I've confessed it a thousand times. Why bother? You know, and you, and you you begin to get angry. And then you, you, sometimes you change the rules and you say, you know, I don't think God has a problem with this. You know, I mean, he's okay with this. And you begin to say what you're doing is all right. That's, that's the worst thing because that's deception. It, it's almost better to just be plain angry at him. I prayed a million times. I begged him to take it away and he hasn't. Uh, you know, he's, he's mean. Blame him. But don't deceive. I'll tell you what the solution is. The church of Jesus Christ has not learned to put to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit. Romans 8. That whole thing has been ignored. We are just now, again, learning how. How do you, like the the woman last night with the depression, what was her real solution? Get baptized in the Holy Spirit and, and learn to break through, lady. 
that's how I do it, because you know that's been my struggle for my lifetime. And how do I get through? You know, I think it's a grace that God made me a pastor. I have to come to church. Because <laughs> when you're depressed, what do you want to do? You want to sit home and feel so sorry for yourself and everybody's against me. And, and, but I have to show up and, I, and then I have to sit in front and worship. And, <laughs> and, and you know what happens? Time after time, I feel pretty good when we're done. I'm on top of it. You, you understand? This is, the, 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 the Lord is not worried about our weaknesses in our flesh. He understands it fully. But he also knows he's given a power greater than our flesh. And, how, how he want, and we have to learn how to, how to draw on that power. And he knows when we don't know yet. He's very merciful. Where did, I have no idea. Oh, there, the diagram. So as the sin builds up, let's suppose I don't confess it. Let's suppose I ignore it. It tends to crush my faith. What happens? I feel guilty. I feel ashamed. And the more ashamed I feel, the more I want to flee from God's presence because I'm ashamed. Right? Why even pray? Why even talk to him? He, he's not going to answer my prayers. It's not the way I've been. And then I'm not going to church. They're all self-righteous. You know, you always get angry at everybody else when you're feeling ashamed. Yeah, it's all our fault. And anyway, so you, you pull yourself away, you isolate yourself, you get in that condition, you know, uh, you know, and, 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 and the condemnation comes, the temptation and the flesh gets stronger. See, he said you enslave yourself. So you get worse and worse and worse. And then at some point, if you ask that person, do you really believe that Jesus is your savior? Do you really trust him in a living, active way right now? That flame would be pretty small as it goes down. You see what I'm saying? Sin crushes, smothers faith. It is not a neutral force. It is not a check on a list. It is a very damaging substance. It addicts and it smothers. I want to keep it out. Why do we take communion once a month? And why do we have communion trays across the front? Virtually every service we have. Not because, there's many ways you can confess your sins. You don't need to take communion to do it, but isn't it a lovely way? I mean, I, I do it all. I, I off, there's weekends, I think last weekend I may have taken it, or no, no, we didn't have it in the service. The weekend before, I took it three times on the weekend. Probably wonder what I'm up to. <laughs> yeah. Now I have to tell you. Yeah. All right, I'll tell you. I, I, I'll tell you what I struggle with on and off is self-righteousness. And I get angry and I scold in my mind. And it's not you. I mean, it really isn't. I'm not just saying that. I'm not angry. I love, I, I love you. It's other religious leaders. Oof. And so I can sit there talking to the mirror and I'm telling people off. It's just nasty. It is. It's not. It's just nasty. And you know what the Lord's saying to me? He's saying, stop it. Bless. He wants you and me to be a blessing to others, not a source of judgment and cursing. He says he makes the sun shine and the rain fall on the just and the. And he wants us to be the same. He's really getting through. It's getting through to me. But I have to constantly deal with my flesh. And so I have to cleanse my heart. I have to deal with any kind of garbage in there. So I'm, I'm, what am I doing? I'm saying, Lord, I place on your broken body my, my sin. Thank you for dying for me, my Lord. Thank you for the, for the cross, for the blood that was poured out for me, and the new covenant that is mine. Fullness of the Holy Spirit, washing me, my sins away, and they are remembered no more. Remember that one? I love that. That's in the new covenant. That's the promise of the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. He'll remember my sins no more. There's no record of them. There's no keeping account. He's not saying, you've done it a thousand times. I'm up to here with you. He can't remember. I mean, well, he can remember anything, but he doesn't count any of that. He just deals with me right where I am. You, you understand? We keep short accounts. We keep our heart clean. We keep the garbage out so it doesn't accumulate. We want to be the anointing. We want the free conscience. We want to be at peace with him. It isn't, it isn't legalism. It isn't, it isn't works righteousness. It's wisdom. 
sin brings shame and shame presses me to flee from God's presence. And the further I get from God's presence, the greater my shame and the less I really trust Jesus Christ as my savior. Doubt increases, my heart grows hard and faith declines until it's in danger of being no more than a memory. Is it possible for faith to extinguish altogether? I think there are numerous passages in the Bible that say it is. It's, the point is, my salvation is not a game. It's the most precious gift I have. And it deserves to be taken seriously, not exploited or neglected. Because my flesh is still an active force, I will have to struggle with it until I see Jesus. But struggles and even failures can't take my salvation away from me. My sinning doesn't take my salvation away from me. You follow? I'm saved by faith, trusting, living trust in Jesus Christ, even when I'm having a bad time. I'm under grace. The danger comes when I stop struggling and let sin enslave me. When I stop repenting, stop confessing my sins, stop listening to the word, stop worshiping. It's important for me to learn to put to death the temptations that come from the flesh, not let them rule me. Fruitlessness. One more thing I want to address with this. There's one more issue we should discuss when we're talking about works and grace. That's fruit. Do I have to serve God to be saved or can I do nothing for him and still go to heaven? That's a question we all ask. Yeah. The answer to that question is actually fairly complicated. I think it depends on why I'm fruitless. Paul says a person can do the wrong things and end up fruitless but still go to heaven. Uh, you remember the, uh, I'll, I'll read that in a second, but you remember what he says. He says it's, there's a foundation that's been laid of Christ, and he says people build on it with different substances. And he says one person builds on it with gold or silver or precious stones. Another person builds on that foundation with what? Wood, hay, and stubble. Yeah, and he says, and then they all, all of us stand before God. And then he says he evaluates, and he says that we go through the, the fire, as it were, of God's judgment. And what happens to the wood, hay, and stubble? It is consumed and isn't there. He says, if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. I think he's talking about someone who tried to serve God. You notice they did build on the foundation just with the wrong stuff. To serve God, but did it the wrong way. But Jesus tells a parable about a person who had no desire to serve God. And you remember it. It's the parable of the talents. He says the master of the house uh, had, has three servants. He gives one five. He gives one two. And he gives one fellow one. And he says, now trade with this while I'm gone. And when he comes back, he asks them to report. The fellow with five now has how many? Ten. The fellow with two has or they've traded with it. He comes to the fellow who has one and he says, you know, what do you have? And he, and he, and he takes out a thing. He buried it in the ground. He says, here, take what's yours. And then he, and then he says, for I knew you, the, 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 the servant speak, speaking to the master, in other words, to the Lord, says, I knew you to be a, a hard man, uh, reaping where you did not sow. In other words, you want me to work for you. you you're, you're exploiting me, using me like a slave making me do all this work. You didn't do it. I'm going to work and you're going to get the profit. And, and then the master of the house doesn't argue with him. I mean, he just, a talent is a huge amount of money, by the way. Uh, he doesn't argue with him. He, he simply says, so you knew me to be a hard man, did you? He says, you wicked, lazy slave. He says, you should have at least taken what I gave you and given it into the hands of others. Uh, the bank, as it were, invested it, so I would have something to show for it. And then he says, take him and cast him out. It's a strong parable. This man was fruitless. Now, please notice this. This is very important. Why was he fruitless becomes the question. Not because he tried to serve God, but did the wrong things. This person was fruitless because he didn't really love God at all. His lack of interest in serving God is the outward evidence of a sour inner attitude. In this case, the parable informs us that the person is not saved. I think Jesus' illustration of the vine and branches explains why. Listen. I am the vine. Why don't you read that with me? I am the vine 
and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up. So believing in Jesus isn't agreeing with a doctrine about him. It's entering into a relationship with him. You're abiding. You're remaining attached. He's talking about a very deep spiritual attachment. And he says, if I stay in that relationship, I can't help but produce fruit. Doesn't it say that? A branch doesn't work hard. A branch is just attached. But because it's attached and filled with life, it produces fruit. It's not laboring. It's fruit producing. Because life is flowing into it through the relationship with Jesus Christ. I can't help but produce fruit, not because I'm doing works to try to earn anything, but because the life of Jesus inside of me is changing me into someone who is a blessing to many others. Apparently, look at this, apparently it's impossible to stop the transformation that takes place when Jesus is present. In him is life, and the life was the light of men. It only stops when the relationship stops. That's why he can say a good tree will always produce good fruit. A bad tree will always produce bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. Now, I've got flesh and I've got struggles. But if I love the Lord Jesus, it's going to change my life. And I'm going, to be, I'm, going to, I'm going to deal with people differently. I watch you all the time. Many of you, I, you know, will just someday come along and you'll say, you know, Pastor, I'm just feeling this. This is what God, God's put on my heart. And it's just amazing things. I, I can look through the congregation and just start calling you out. Stuff that people are doing that is just breathtaking. And no one made you do it. I don't think for a second you think, I'm earning something. I think you do it because you're full of love for the Lord Jesus. And you are aware that this is real stuff and people are perishing. And the urgency of it does not let you rest. You can't do nothing. It's pushing you, right? I got to do something. I can't let people perish like this. I got to do what God's putting in my heart. Hallelujah. That's what he's talking about. When I'm attached to Jesus, I can't stop the process. I'm not earning anything, and I'm not doing it because I got to. I'm doing it because I want to. Conclusion. Let's listen to him once more. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. The only work I need to do is believe, but my faith brings me into relationship with him, which causes me to want to serve him and obey his commands. Loving him changes everything. It's not work anymore. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.